My name is Derek. My friend Keith and I, we host the Pop-Up Filmcast. Every episode, we talk about fake movies like they're real. Last year, Keith told me about the NYC Midnight Screenwriting Competition. It's a crazy contest where you have to write a short-form script in a small amount of time. The twist is it has to be a specific genre and incorporate a random theme and a random character. We both participated. We did fairly well, and we had a good time. So this year, we decided to do it again, invite some friends, and talk through the process. This is Midnight Writers. Episode 3, Heightened Stakes and Plot Point 2. Eight days have passed. We spent the time frantically writing and rewriting our scripts. We chatted back and forth throughout the week, bouncing ideas off one another and providing moral support. The submission deadline came and went, and we all submitted and resubmitted, some of us more than others, you know, after finding typos and thinking of last-minute fixes to our stories. We got back together... Well, four of us did. Joelle had a birthday and decided to go off and have fun with her family at Joshua Tree. Uh, anyway, anyways, Phil, Keith, Julianne, and myself got back together the next day, and we were still riding the high of completing a screenplay in eight days. This is a bit longer of an episode because the energy in the room is pretty palpable, and everyone's excitement is cranked up to 11. First, I wanted to hear how the eight days went for everyone. Dr. Rude? I'll start. Derek? I guess. Derek will start. Uh, I had... <laughs> that uh, I don't agree with, no. Crime Caper and Celebration and Banker. And it was a tough go. I had a very difficult time. And I guess we'll dig in deeper as we go. But how did it go for you guys? I had a uh, suspense, which I am not used to writing. So I mm-hmm. had kind of a tough time, too. My subject was Lesser of Two Evils. And the character I had to include was a limousine driver. I think I pulled something decent out at the end. Uh, but yeah, I had, I had a little tough time getting going as well, Derek. I had fantasy and there had to be a transformation and a character who was a castaway. Uh, I, uh, this is Keith, I had spy, scandalous, and a runner. It started out rough because I really had, I had done most of one and then realized that I, it wasn't very scandalous and I had to kind of start over. Um, but for the most part, I, I really enjoyed where I went with this one. And Phil, you, you had mentioned that um, suspense isn't like your bag. That's not your thing. Uh, it, it, did, did, for everybody, did you have a problem because of one of the three or all three of the randomly assigned elements? For me, it was it was mostly uh, the genre because I kind of got stuck in the idea that suspense meant kind of uh, horror, and mm. it was um, it's not necessarily horror, but it it seems very like serious, and mm-hmm. um, so it became this thing of like, oh, this has to be kind of kind of dark. You try and uh, apply that you know, like the horror slash comedy rule of like suspense, uh, misdirection, payoff, whatever. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I really, yeah, I really kind of just got bogged down in the idea of suspense as opposed to uh, later on, I just kind of figured out like, this isn't necessarily like scary or anything like that, but they're just, I just have to build tension into it somewhere. So I just kind of Mm -hmm. focused on, on that. Was there something that like, uh, flipped a switch for you on suspense when you realized, oh, it just has to be, I have to build tension. There's a, there's an element in my screenplay that sort of hints at the threat of a mass shooting. And Mm -hmm. in the original ending, it actually got very close to happening. And in the course of this week, the second mass shooting in a week in, Mm -hmm. in real life happened. And it just was like, Mm -hmm. it felt really inappropriate to uh, to actually sort of follow through on that. Mm-hmm. It just, it it felt a little too dark. I I wasn't real comfortable with it. Sure. And I, I kind of figured out a way to kind of steer away from that. And that brought me to uh, the third character that I introduce uh, at the end and, and kind of the ending there. And then as I just kind of chipped away at that, I found little, a little more levity in it. And it wasn't so, so dark as, mm-hmm. as all of that. Uh, it, it still wasn't, darkly it wasn't too close to real life, I guess I yeah. should say, uh, which, well, yeah. Oh, definitely. You went in a, in a direction that isn't 
like like true to life but it does it, it does end darkly and keith i know you said that well uh, during the week you had written a script and then decided that you weren't <clears throat> going to go with it and then you transitioned to a second script yeah what um what made you what made you go man and then throw out work and then start over all right so like when it mainly the word scandalous because most people think of um you know uh, like a salacious scandal uh, somebody cheating things like that um and i looked up the definition it can also mean disgracefully bad uh, typically as a result of someone's negligence or irresponsibility is another you know definition of scandalous but i don't think that's like that's not the obvious one and so the original one i had was you know some people did their job wrong Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. spies doing their job wrong and uh, you know a person getting away you know and I was like well that I like what I have here that very like a lot of bouncing around of dialogue and stuff and then some action but I was like if you're not if you're most people are going to just think scandalous and like well there wasn't any real scandal here uh, what's you got going on I didn't see anything here with it just people being you know bad at their job which still kind of counts mm-hmm. um and since that wasn't very obvious, I was like, all right. And I went to bed that night and I was just like, yeah, I was gonna, I was still going to have to tinker around with it. And the ending seemed like maybe I had rushed into it a little bit because of the, the page limit. But then when I woke up next morning, I was struck with an idea and just throughout the day, like just started churning away at writing some more again. And that one really fell together a lot, a lot easier. And then Julianne, you had a, it's it's actually a sprawling fantasy. I was I was surprised at how much story and uh, location world and building world building you did in twelve pages. Did you start like hardcore and you have to come back from like twenty pages or or how was your process? I think what happens with me is I don't know how to exactly. Like I didn't know the rules of this thing and I have a mm-hmm. tendency to go big in my brain. And then um, I said, does it need to be a beginning, middle end? And if that's the case, so basically I went big in my mind and then I tried to just pull it back and I didn't mm-hmm. write it where it went over. I probably was one page over when I finally wrote it down. I kind of just wrote as I went and then started to, chip away kind of feeling that, Ooh, this might be too chunky. This might be too much in one area. So try to move forward. But I tried to keep it kind of simple, like two locations. And Mm -hmm. I still don't know. Well, it was a few, it was three locations, like the ocean, a prison. Can we talk about it at all? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, ocean prison and like a biosphere. And so that kind of narrowed it a little for me instead of Mm -hmm. in my mind, you know, it would have been a big elaborate feature length story. And there's all this, I went big and I recorded myself talking for 45 minutes about the big feature like script I had in my mind. And then I just pulled it down and went into the smaller elements of it, which I always find if I do things that way, it tends to turn into like a children's story because it feels like it simplified it. So this mm-hmm. kind of did that same thing. It kind of got more family friendly instead of the elaborate backstories and the darkness that one character has and you know Mm -hmm. so i i don't know was it easy to read or was it too much because that's always my question it was remarkably easy to read because and uh your approach to the action elements and were simple right it's like yeah a falls down B mm-hmm. looks scared and then dialogue, dialogue, dialogue. And there wasn't, there wasn't anything else there, but it wasn't to a detriment in any way whatsoever. It was probably to its benefit because you're able to, to, to have so much in there to, and complete a full story from A to Z. And, and nothing was lost. There was nothing in my head of like, Oh, I don't know what's going on here. Okay. Oh, like everything. I, I was I was very impressed at at the at how much that you did you did get in because it it is well it only takes course over a, a couple of days it does it's yeah. large and yeah it, thanks I'm glad you could follow it um, I, I mentioned it um, to my wife because I read yours and I read Phil's back to back 
And I was like, this is like the coolest thing about doing this with yeah. with like a group here is, you know, Phil, yours, 90% of it takes place like in a space about the size of my dining room. And yeah, one little corner of a parking garage. And then you start reading this other one, which has like this prison that's part of a vast world. There's a huge ocean. Then you get this biosphere that has all these elements to look at in it. Yet both of them are like, tell these nice complete like mini stories like mm-hmm. all all there with like whether big elements or little elements and really cool to see you know everyone's yeah you know take on these things i, re- I read all three of of you guys's this morning uh when i got up and uh it, it is really cool to see not only the different stories and the different genres but like the different writing styles and um and the way everybody manages to have clarity of what their story is about and all the events, but it's all written in different ways, some mm. more descriptive than others, but it all comes across uh, equally well. And so, yeah, reading them back to back, doing this in a group, I think was super cool. Everyone is so unique, but the stories were very clear. Yeah, That's my favorite sure. part of anything that gives that uses like random prompts because I, when when I, when you get a random prompt, like I immediately think of something and then I'm like, Oh, is that too obvious? But like, I don't want to do what somebody else is doing. That never, ever happens. No two people think of the same thing right? with three random prompts. And it's, it's I think, I think I had that issue last year when I got political satire right away. And I was mm-hmm. like, Ooh, I was like, Oh, it's going to be, you know, 20 some, you know, scripts about trump about in, trump in, yeah. in it and i'm like i'm like i just i do not and i don't want to do anything like that and it's not that is definitely like where the the uh the genre was a huge issue for me where i was like this is not my thing uh well, in the first place that was that was my situation this year that's what i was like gonna ask crime, crime paper you, you and- started off with asking this question so what besides crime caper which i think you mentioned Last time recorded was like not your strong suit. What else um, did you have struggles with in starting? Well, yeah, it was the it was crime caper in banker, and and I'm like, there's going to be 26 bank robberies, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's like, I don't know how to do this. So in my mind, I came up with a beginning and an end. I I thought of the beginning scene and the end scene, and then like you were saying, Phil, when you're writing, it just kind of happened. I really let the characters as i was writing them to kind of dictate where it goes i know that sounds kind of weird um mm-hmm. if you if you didn't get the if you've never been in that situation where you're writing for a character and the character decides what happens next as I opposed to you even though you're the person writing it blah blah blah. i tried to explain to my daughter she's like <laughs> but you're writing it i'm like yeah, right. everybody's been chomping at the bit and just tiptoeing and skirting around things let's just get right to it what do we write um, and uh, the title of uh, mine is called Spy Goes to the Runner. A disgraced former secret agent finally tracks down the one that got away, uh, but it's still a few steps behind. And for the most part, it is, I mean, it's, that explains it perfectly. It, there's a guy, he's a, he was a former spy. He accused somebody else of being a spy. Uh, nobody believes him. That guy gets away with it. And basically this guy, you know, his life kind of goes to crap, but he's then like obsessed with it and his apartment is you know he's got boxes of files on the guy he's got the the pictures on the wall with the strings all attached to it and stuff and then it's him like he the guy disappears quite often and so he's trying to find him and basically the whole thing starts off where like the guy has popped out of like whatever little hole he's in and he, this guy was supposed to know about it he's he had informants that were supposed to tell him and since that guy screwed up he has to go and track down any details he can and uh you know in along the way uh which actually the connection between you know having to find you know going and talking to the guy and getting a um a tape from a news crew and then bouncing it over to this bakery thing i was just i can't i had i used character names from the first version that i wrote and then just I was like, well, well, okay, I got this person named the last name's Ross. Oh, Ross and Roll. Okay, well, that could be a bakery place. And that's I just kept rolling with this whole thing, uh, and and just like setting up that scene, just 
popped into my head just as I was going. But then uh, as you get to the end, I was like, okay, this is where people are going to think with the spy movie, I think, most times. And again, they give you a lot of options like Born Identity and Tinker Tailor Soldier Spy and stuff to uh, maybe they want to push people away from the, the Bond type thing. But that's what I think of when I think spy. And I was like, I really want to do like that, you know, Bond esque villain type thing, but not a, you know, but he's in the real world and he understands he's in the real world. Um, and, and thus, you know, kind of sets everything up. Plus, uh, I mean, I, I like the idea that this ends on a very dark note, um, Mm -hmm. as well. Uh, I had one ending, um, and then once I did, uh, some, you know, uh, spell check stuff yesterday and put it back in, I, I messaged Derek and I was like, Hey, I've got this other idea for how I should end it. Because as I was reading, I was like, Oh, that just ends and we're done. And the, the character, um, the, the bad guy of this thing, I was like, he's not just going to quietly walk away at the end. He's still going to have some smart ass comment probably. Um, and so, uh, Phil, I think you got to read the, the more updated version. Yeah. Uh, I read, I read yeah. what, uh, what came through the emails late yesterday. Um, yeah. And so, I mean, I, I read yeah. the abrupt ending. I remember going, damn snap, it's done. <laughs> and that's, that's the same thing. My wife was, she's like, Oh, that's it. Oh, that, that's the end. I'm like, yeah. Then like, Which is kind of a bold move. I'm like, wow, that's, uh, just like done. We're out. <laughs> yeah. And so I've given, I've given the guy an extra, an extra little, you know, kick at the end to, to say something, but he gets to do the whole big like bond villainy, you know, villain type speech, but all in a way of him being like, I set this all up just so you could, so you could get the vibe of it. Did he turn around and say, now you're moist. No, 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 no. I mean, you're not going, yeah. you're not spoiling anything. Oh yeah. Okay. So, so yeah. So, oh yeah. Who am I spoiling this for? Um, <laughs> all right. So, I mean, he, he tracks down the, the fact that this guy he's, he's, been hunting down. Um, he finds a way to 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 locate the guy because the guy keeps disappearing all the time. And he's on this like stakeout. It has the the baker that he talks to is delivering stuff to this guy in a really weird way where they're just leaving like a Dropbox. Uh, so he hangs out and he sneaks up, thinking he's gonna get the drop on somebody when it it turns on him and he gets knocked out. And he wakes up and he's on you know he's on that like large metal table you know, that you kind of picture from, you know, any good spy movie. And this guy just starts like really leaning into him about like, Hey, hello, how you doing? It's me. You knew it would be me. Um, and like the, the guy has been a recluse of uh, the, the bad guy is being, you know, considered a recluse a bunch of times because like nobody will see him for months at a time. He just disappears for a while. And it's because he goes away to build like basically uh, an elaborate set, uh, like a movie set of a, of like a vil- of a Bond villain uh, type thing, where it's it's all perfectly white. Um, he's got computers, there's a giant laser, and he's got a tank full of piranha. Not and, sharks. Yeah, no, yeah, and so the, you know, and he's and he's asking, you know, he asks the main character, you know, are you impressed with everything I did and stuff? And at one point, the guy is like, he motions to the prana tank he's like i expected a shark uh fast forward a little while the guy get he you know the bad guy just shoots him you know and and is about to walk away and i originally had him motioning to this like larger henchman to like you know pick him up throw the thing into the prana tank and that was and then was just going to walk away and that was it uh and so i added in that uh, uh palmer that's the bad guy uh he watches for a moment as the piranhas Swarm and devour reads lifeless body to the bone before he walks out the room. And uh, as he's walking out the room, he goes, and that is why we didn't go with the shark. Like just kind of like one, like last little kick to this guy that he yeah. obviously beat. He beat him <laughs> before by like nobody believing him that he was a spy and like ruining this guy's life. Basically hey, he captures him, he kills him. And uh, you know, one last little kick. And, and- yeah. And I, I, when you messaged me last night, I was glad that you did mes- message me with that idea because it, it's the Chekhov's gun, right? This is Chekhov's piranha. You can't show piranhas and then not <laughs> check off, use check off piranhas. piranhas. Is my new band. All right. All right. Uh, mine is called Heart and Soul. And the log line is an anonymous chauffeur is given a bizarre set of moral choices 
whose outcomes would only benefit the despicable people around him. And uh, this is just a, this is a story of, uh, of Ernie, the chauffeur who picks up a, a uh, rich businessman and is driving him to the office. And he asks him to uh, swing by a, uh, another building an, an office building. And he asks he, uh, Lawrence, the, the rich businessman, he asks Ernie to rob one of the offices, the CEO office of this building. Uh, and it turns out uh, Lawrence has what he's wanting Ernie to steal. We find out is his soul. His, he had sold his soul to the devil and it's being held in this office. And now that Ernie is getting older and kind of realizing, or uh, Lawrence is getting older and realizing his mortality, uh, he wants to have his soul back. And the actual devil shows up in the form of a a, a woman in a black dress with a crow on her shoulder. And uh, she tells Ernie, you know, Ernie doesn't want to rob the office. And she kind of puts it on him. She says, you can go do it and get him his soul back and help him, or you can do nothing and you're helping me because I will retain possession of his soul. And uh, Ernie is just, it, it's essentially about him uh, looking at two people. Lawrence has shown himself to be uh, just sort of a, a rich and powerful jerk who enjoys stepping on people and generally being a dick. And you have the actual devil. He's sitting there faced with the fact that no matter what he does, he is going to have to help one or the other of them. And uh, they're pleading their case to him. And he is, uh, I tried to paint Ernie as kind of a, a morally good character who doesn't, doesn't want to help anybody. He doesn't want to pick the lesser of two evils because the less of two evils is still evil. And so he's really, that's where the suspense tension I tried to build was, was in him having to figure out, uh, is it okay to help either of them? Because no matter what he does, he's going to. In the midst of all that, Lawrence has a heart attack and dies and uh, basically just lets Ernie off the hook and the devil just walks away satisfied. Did Ernie get the 10 grand? Because that's what I wanted to have happen at the end. Oh, man. I uh, I left something dangling there, didn't I? I didn't even realize that until just now. Um, I guess he very well could have just taken that briefcase and, and gone home with 10 grand in his pocket. Asshole tax. I guess. I guess, I guess. I. Uh, I guess. I probably just assumed. You know, he did because I mean, it ends with. I, I. Don't, I don't think. I don't imagine the devil is just going to pick it up and walk away with it herself. No, nah, she just walked off and and was done. She. Uh, mm-hmm. She didn't care about any of that. So um, I don't know. It's kind of like a. I don't know. Was it a little Tarantino-y ending where it just kind of ends? I sort of like those. I always try to wrap mm-hmm. mine up so mm-hmm. perfectly that. Maybe yeah, maybe. it ends, and I'll I'll freely admit that Lawrence dying is a a cheat to get Ernie. So I didn't have to make a choice with Ernie because I really <laughs> didn't know what the right choice was either. Um, it ends with. Uh, Scarlet, the devil character, just saying, oh, never mind, and walking away. And I just thought that was sort of the the most sudden and kind of flippant way you could walk away from tension and have it be kind of funny and kind of like a, mm-hmm. I hope it doesn't come off as like a middle finger. To, hey, now that you're invested in this story, we're taking all the <laughs> wind out of the sail. But um, I don't know. No, I, think, uh, I think it's a good, it's a good, um, period on the on the thing i mean because you get the tension like really working up she shows up and like you know as much as lawrence is trying to talk him into it talk ernie into it she comes in and she's kind of like kind of revving it up but like in either way like yeah go ahead do it that not a problem go ahead yeah go right ahead or or don't it's still or do nothing yeah, yeah do nothing uh the devil's gonna get what she wants out of it either way i think yes because lawrence is gonna go do something really wrong uh, or you're know, going to steal this thing and you know, the devil still figure something out. I-, I was just going to say that I love that Ernie was this character that um, he was like, why are you putting me in this position? Like what? It's just this poor guy who is driving <laughs> yeah. a limo. Just wanted to go like, to work. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, what the fuck? And now he's got a devil and then this terrible guy. He's, it's kind of like this poor sap is just doing his job, but remained with integrity the whole time. And even before the but, devil shows up, it's like, why are you putting me in this position? And Lawrence is like, like, 
instead of just being like you're just a well you're just an average guy like puts in like the most uh condescending he like backwards compliments that he can possibly give the guy <laughs> like every single thing he says yeah, like you're is, yeah. so average that you'll yeah. be able to pull this off you know perfectly vibe. walk through there with that suit on it is it's a it's it's a terrible suit but it's perfect also and yeah yeah it was a soup you'd get this hat yeah. <laughs> oh, looks good on you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. I was consciously taking uh, shots at corporate America and and things like that. But I was I was trying. I don't know how successful it was. I was trying to do it in a clever way instead of like a preachy way. Uh, I was trying to do it in a at least in a in the context of the story, as opposed to just breaking from the story and having a character get on their soapbox about. About something like that, you know. What so I mean? mine. Let me pull up the my log line. So mine was fantasy, a transformation, and a castaway character. Uh, the log line, which my uh, my other half, my writing partner, Joelle, the other half of the podcast, Mounts of Wings, uh, she wrote this: enslaved on an exotic black market island, I and her family attempt escape. Left for dead, fate plays a hand, and a chance meeting of another woman turns into a fight for the survival of the species. Basically, the the main character is a very meek younger girl, 10 years old. She has an older brother and a mom who are a race called Paxa people. So they're a humanoid race of yellow skin. They are, you know, I was kind of thinking in my mind, any oppressed race in the world. So uh, they're slaves on an, on a prison island and the prison island's main goal, they have the last of the animal species, which they're selling off for big money in an exotic animal trade, black market style. And my bigger vision, you know, it's all okayed by the world and they're like, yeah, do your thing over here. But in the smaller story, that's just, it is what it is. Basically they escape the Family gets caught except for the young girl. She gets rescued. She almost drowns in the ocean, gets rescued, and then wakes up in a beautiful biosphere. The Willy Wonka chocolate factory scene <laughs> of, ah, now you're in paradise. And it's like, oh, look at this. Wow. And sees that there's a lot of animals that had she had heard stories from her mom about that she had thought that they had gone extinct. But really, it was a woman who's kind of a 35-year-old hippie-ish lady who also had escaped the island years before. And everybody's of this race that they're a part of. The Paxa race has, like, let's say half of them have a special gift. I didn't want to say superpower, but a power gift is what I call it, to not be too cliche. So hers was creating, like, a biodome shield thing that she could project an image on the outside. So she projects the image of a barren island that nobody would want to come and look at. So she keeps herself kind of uh, hidden away with a few of these animal species that are the last on earth and trees that are the last on earth or whatever planet they're on. And um, so she's created a biosphere for herself to live comfortably. And this character, this new girl who comes and says, you got to get out of here and help me rescue my family. And the lady at first says, no, she's very comfortable. She's peaceful. She doesn't want to go anywhere near that shitty prison island again. She escaped from it. And finally, the girl talks her into it. And guess what happens? They go back. She finds, the young girl finds she does have a gift. This gift has been suppressed by the terrible armadillo-like prison guards and the general, who is a giant the armadillo-type guy. They suppress all of this slave races the packs of people's gift by injecting them so now that she doesn't have her injections she lets her gift go which is screaming it paralyzes everyone who doesn't have their ears plugged look at that she ends up killing all the bad guys and all the animals escape and they live in peace and harmony the end exploding their heads Exploding their heads. Scanner style. Yeah. Like, okay, so I didn't even see scanners. And someone else told me there was a show recently called something about a wolf where the lady explodes people's heads. Mm, I don't know. know. Which is funny because when people. I do know. uh, 
like kill like a wolf, run like uh, a wolf, raised by wolves. Yes, that's wolves. it. It's an HBO yeah. Max show. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And she goes, oh, the mother character explodes people's heads or something. I was like, yeah, it sure does. Yeah. Ooh, which is funny because I like how we're all, you know, like how there's only eight notes on a keyboard. There's only so, so many, like we can create whatever we want from mm-hmm. any storyline. So if someone says, oh, yeah, that kind of reminds me of Avatar. And I would get really worried. Like, did I just rip off something or, oh, my God, how much I did I so. steal from that thing? But it's kind of like your voice comes out regardless, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's yours. And it could be a standard storyline that the characters make it really unique or whatever. For sure. I know yeah. you referenced um that like, you know, the 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 biosphere thing, uh and like Willy Wonka. Um mm-hmm. I also pictured um in How to Train Your Dragon Two um, when when he finds his mom and they go to like like that big cave and she comes out she's like here this is where all the dragons are hiding and there's mm-hmm. just so many different varieties of them and so much visual stuff to see that's kind of what popped in is like you know when she first walks into that and he's like you know all the it. different animal things she's like here try this fruit here and try this and that and just like this thing where like the person walking in like their eyes probably like almost exploding at like mm-hmm. how much visual to take in on it yeah i'd love that everyone has a different like, oh, that reminds me of this and that. It reminded me of Hogan's Heroes. Yes, you know? that's what I was going for, though, actually. <laughs> Schultz? Schultz, Why are you, you're Schultz the lovable Nazi. Isn't it great? <laughs> With his little monocle. <laughs> <laughs> it was pretty lovable. How the hell did that get past the writer's room? It was a know. different time. Very yeah. different time. Very different. But, yeah, thanks for reading. It was a... Big idea. I I don't know. You know, you never know how these things will go. If it reads well or not or whatever. My favorite part of your idea is, and I always like these little sorts of things, is at the beginning, she's soft-spoken. She mumbles. Uh, she has a hard time expressing herself or whatever, right? And and mm-hmm. even the armadillo says, you know, something to the effect of, um, you have to speak up if you want something, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And then her her gifted power is an overwhelming scream that explodes heads. Yeah. Um, I like that. So that was the transformation. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and it's funny. I think I have, Oh, that few... was a transformation because there's yeah. lots of things I could have considered transformation. So yeah, in my mind, that was it. Like she goes from very mm-hmm. meek to this strong and powerful person. Yep. You know, the hippie lady, you know, transformed her point of view and helped her yep. out and the world so was going to transform. Up. Yeah, that's all that. The armadillos <laughs> went transformed from having a head to having no head. To having no head, yeah. Inspired yes. by Gallagher's uh, watermelon, watermelon smashing. Yeah. <laughs> the splash zone was in full effect. Boy, Gallagher, I had a, uh, yes. Carrot Top, we got all the prop comedians coming Boy, in are we from the 40 and up, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh. Carrot top with those muscles. It's still confusing. Anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah. I like the, um, I like the, you know, the, the hippie lady's like, no, I'm, I'm good here. No, this is what I'm doing. We're just going to stay here. And, you know, she, she's like, just explain to me why. And then she's like, no, no, I'm just looking. And then once the, the person, you know, once the little girl yells and she's just like, oh, okay. This is, she's just like, oh, this is going to be fun. Yeah. Like, I like, had it before at the line was like, fuck it. Let's have fun or something like that. And then I was like, eh, let's take out the F. We don't need an F bomb, but trying we're, to get that we're, idea we're, expo- we're exploding heads. We don't need yeah. the F bomb. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the world's fastest way to get them moving was a line that just goes, ah, let's do it. You know, it was like in a 12 page story to get them from one mindset to another. It felt a little like, oh, is this a quick device just to move it forward or I'm like, oh, she's Look, when you got wacky pages, enough to say that. When you got 12 pages, you need those uh, those type of quick yeah. devices. Move it forward. Keep it going. So mine, once again, was Crime Caper, uh, Banker, and Celebration. And this, the, the title that I landed on was called Birthday Girl. And the logline is, Kenny Strickland tries hard to balance between being a good husband, father, and friend when his criminal best buddy calls in a favor he has a few hours to pick up the balloons and get the cash before his daughter's fifth birthday starts. And like I had said before, I, I when I did this, I had, I had decided on the opening scene and I decided on the end, 
how it was going to end. Um, but I wasn't sure what it was going to be in between. And for inspiration, I had, I had started surfing through Florida man headlines. <laughs> and one of them, because I'm like, Son of a bitch. Papers, and, and one of them Sorry, was like, know. man attempts to rob Burger King with monkey or something like that. Like, I was like, oh, Jesus. So I got to work a monkey in this somehow. <laughs> Um, because it's Phil's so ridiculous. from Florida, by the way. So that's <laughs> yeah, why we're I, saying I, that. I only rob Wendy's with my cat. <laughs> well, there was another one too. And, and I was Cats really torn because there was another one where a man tries to rob like a McDonald's through the drive-thru with an alligator. Oh. I was like, oh man, that's good too. But that, that's almost too much. Um, so many alligators. I started getting into, you got me into it too, by the way. <laughs> that is awesome. <laughs> when all else fails, turn to Florida. We oh will get God. you out of your creative. I spent rut. two <laughs> hours down that fucking crocodile hole. <laughs> Where do a lot of capers happen? Hmm, Florida seems to have a, a lot. Yeah. Well, I just when I read the the, dis, the genre description about ridiculousness and, and whatever, and I'm just like, okay, well, Florida man is ridiculous, and so we find something. So the gist of my story is. You have Kenny, who is a husband, father. He's got a fiery wife and a little five-year-old who's having his birthday or having her birthday. And uh, he has to do something on that day with his friend, uh, Dink, mm-hmm. who it turns out is robbing a bank. Um, and the only reason he's really doing it is because he harbors guilt from 10 years ago uh, where uh, – we later find out that his wife was dating Dink, right? And he stole his girlfriend. And Dink doesn't seem to care about it. Uh, he's moved on. Uh, but Kenny still harbors this this guilt about it. Um, and and Dink uses that to his advantage, right? So the and when I made this story, and it wasn't intended to be this way, I I think my character goes on a full hero's journey because, because he literally crosses a threshold and then he returns um, to his home, a changed person. Uh, but he goes out with uh, his, his wife, you know, it's like, you can't, you know, if, if you end up dead, I'm going to kill everybody. I'm going to kill you mm-hmm. and dink. Um, but so he gets in the car with dink and their other friend Grizz, who is a, a tall weirdo. He's wearing a duster and a fedora and he's got a 10 pound beard. Uh, I love that guy. Uh, and like, I just, I just pictured he's the Florida man. Um, I, <laughs> when I, when I lived in Florida, uh, there was a kid, I worked at uh, a school there and there was a kid that went to school and it didn't matter the temperature or the day, but he wore <laughs> this long duster leather jacket. I think I know that kid. He ran everywhere, and man, he smelled like a. Uh, he's he smelled terrible, but he had this long, this long duster's jacket, and I just picture him. And, and anyway, so Dink is a bit of a aggressive screw up. Grizz is a bit of a passive screw up weirdo, and Kenny is the. Um, I, I don't want to use the the outdated turn so he's kind of like the he's kind of like the lightning rod to everything he's the one that has to deal with all of the the issues and really nothing i wanted him to be unflappable right um so they they go on this crime spree and and, or not this crime spree they go to rob a bank but i had in my head i really wanted this this jump cut or this time cut where they're all in a car staring forward and then it cuts and they're all in the car staring forward. But then there's a bunch of birthday balloons. Cause they that have is so up. hilarious. I love that. Um, <laughs> I had so that great. in my head. And I'm like, I really want to use that. <laughs> and, and I didn't think of the logistics of the balloon balloons being in there until later on. Uh, when we get to the point, so they go and they rob the bank. Uh, uh, and uh, Kenny, Meets an old meets an old uh, man who ends up being uh, not really a mentor, but uh, <laughs> sage advice. Uh, like, dude, you need to forgive yourself. Whatever. <laughs> like, I don't know why you're doing this. You could still walk away. You could still say no today, and he doesn't because Dink interrupts. Uh, Dink tosses him to the ground. They run out. They get in the car. But before Dink can get in the car, he takes a bullet to the back of the head that goes through the car, um, and and Grizz hits the gas. And he's wit- freaked out, um, and then 
you know, he I like ends that it popped a balloon also. That was a balloon a good, pops yeah. there. Yeah, that's great. Because uh, <laughs> uh, Carter comes out and fires some shots back at him. <laughs> and I really wanted to express the idea that that Carter's gun has never been unholstered. Um, <laughs> like it, it's never been pulled out ever in his entire time. It's like a stiff leather holster holds it in, right? Like it's never been worn or used. But this guy comes out firing. Takes out Dink with a shot, shoots a uh, bullet through the car as they're going. Grizz freaks out. Um, Grizz is not paying attention. He's overwhelmed because, honestly, this is an overwhelming situation. And There's a uh, monkey bouncing around. There's a monkey bouncing around. There's so much <laughs> going on. He's he's overcome with emotion because Dink's dead. He's watched Dink's. He's got pieces of Dink in his beard still. In his beard. Yep. Um, and then this car... I don't know how fast it's going. We can say it's going, you know, 40, 50, 60 down a, a side street rear ends, a, a car that's at a, a stoplight, which happens to be sprinkles. The clowns this car, which is uh, mentioned in the first scene, you know, like my parents are going to be here. Sprinkles, the clowns going to be here. Um, and so that violent crash sends sprinkles as the clowns car flying through the intersection uh, and kills Grizz. And when people come to check on the the car accident, uh, they don't see Kenny because of the balloons. The balloons are obst- obstructing the view. And, and I, it didn't even dawn on me that that would be a thing until we got to that point. Um, and, and so there's lots of things I was doing. I was worried about it happening and like having to go back and readjust things or explain because I really wanted to make sure that what I was doing was very clear to the reader why it was happening. Like, I'm not going to mention something and not use it or have something happen that wasn't somewhat foreshadowed previously. Uh, but, th- you know, th- it's a modern sedan. Why didn't the airbag go off? I had, So I had to go back and put in all this tooling that the, the steering column was all jacked up from being hot, uh, hot wired. It was a stolen car. Um, and then the, 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 uh, the airbag does go off. Um, blasting, <laughs> which was a late addition, uh, you know, blasting Grisback and shotgunning blood all over all the people that are there, uh, which makes Sprinkles the Clown vomit and then faint <laughs> in his forehead. The as the clown nose rolls back and Kenny's, you know, uh, he he, no one's paying attention to Kenny because there's so much other stuff going on. He reaches down, he can grab the clown nose, he can get the balloons. And he makes it back home uh, relatively in time for his daughter's birthday, um, where he has a monkey, he has a, a bunch of cl- his clown nose, and a bunch <laughs> of balloons. And through all of this, he still uh, the the sight of his daughter makes him smile. Um, and, and and so I went through all this other stuff and and wanting to use everything or not have anything be a surprise. I had that monkey, butt. like, I'll be back before you can say monkey, butt. and she says monkey, butt. and I was like, well, you're cheating. And then at the end she runs up and she noticed that there's a monkey and she screams monkey, butt. and he's been, he's back before she says monkey, butt. it's, so. a, it's such a, it's such a perfect ending. And when you introduce the monkey in the car, I didn't even make the connection that he had yeah. had that joke with his daughter and then when it hits at the end, it is like a gut punch. It's like, oh, my God, that's freaking brilliant, man. I, yeah. I really loved it. I, I appreciate that. I, I yeah. tried really hard to make sure I went back in anything that I'd mentioned. Because I didn't want, like I said before, like last year I did a mystery. And I tried to have it be a mystery to the reader, which that's not the point, right? Like I wanted everything to be very clear that there was obvious intent and nothing was a surprise. Four unique screenplays, four kind of similar experiences. Now, after submission, we have to wait like six, eight weeks for results. How are we feeling going into that hiatus? I feel much better about my first round submission this year than I did last year. Because last year I was like, there's, you know, whatever. Like, I turned it in, fine, whatever. This was a, just a, an experiment or something. And then I remember like, Derek, you like messaged me and like, hey, congrats. And I was like, congrats, what? Oh, shit. Today was the day of, of results. I kind of just <sighs> forgot because I assumed we I turned in junk and it wasn't going anywhere. Um, 
so I, you know, I'm, I am much happier with what I've turned in here for this round, but at the same time, I'm like, uh, it probably means I'm maybe overly confidently looking at something, but if I, you know, what they say, there's like 25 people per group. Mm-hmm. Uh, you assume two or three probably either didn't turn it in or didn't do something right. So they've been disqualified and I have to be within the top five. I mean, 75 out of a hundred, maybe I'm feeling well, that's, that's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, ooh, uh, 75 out of a hundred, uh, flesh, eat, flesh eating piranha, oh, okay. uh, is what I'm feeling on this one. <laughs> oh. I'm keeping this in true pop, pop-up film cast, uh, vibe here. Yeah. Well, I will, I will say this, Keith, compared to last year, you are far more enthusiastic about what you have made. Well, yeah, last year I had, I had no idea what I was doing. And I really, the political satire option last year. Like I was like, I have no idea what to do oh. here. And it really felt really odd. And what I turned in uh, about a dentist's office, that's like very presidential themed. I was like, I don't know if they're really even going to get that or dig that at all. That seems very weird, but yeah. uh, you know, it, you know, moving out to say round, I felt great about it. Uh, but then again, I think there's a, there's a little confidence level this year where I'm like, Oh, all right. Yeah, sure. Turn in something great. Knocked it out. Boom. We're ready to go. And yeah, you know, I probably won't even get honorable mention or something. Yeah, I'll just it, that's what I worry about. Is in my head, I'm like, in my head, I'm like, top five, no problem. Okay. I'll tell you what. That, <laughs> second round, let's go. Not not going to the second round or not getting an honorable mention or anything is not a failure in my in my opinion on on this sort of competition. I think just getting something done in the first place is a victory within itself. I am happier with Should what that. I put together this year than I am with either of the ones I did last year. I feel good. I did spend a lot of time. I had about a lot of other things that I could have been working on. This and I just got so hyper focused. So I think I spent a lot of time on it. I will give it a solid, I'll say eighty percent. Nice. Since you said seventy five, just because I feel good about having a complete story, and like you said, I will be happy to just have whatever happens from here, just to have that, just to say, yeah, it was. I'm so happy when I complete a project that Mm -hmm. this was, that was the joy in this. And uh, it was so fun. And the fact that you guys were involved, I've spent many a lonely Bukowski night working on projects where you're just alone. And this was having a group. I just, I like the encouragement and that inspired me. So I thought it was great. And, uh, and I hope if any of us make it to the next round, I will be overjoyed also if i get knocked out i'll also be fine with that too you know it's um i'm just happy to be a part of it sure but i secretly look at that guy's picture who won the past two years and that did get me fired up he's like 20 <laughs> years old i'm like watch out bro this uh 40 something year old's coming i feel pretty good i don't know that i have confidence that it will pass the first round just because i don't know what the competition is. I don't know yeah. what uh, all the criteria it's being judged on, but I ultimately feel good about what I wrote mm-hmm. um, before I hit that new ending, you know, the original uh, way it was playing out. Uh, we were at dinner and, and Christy asked me, um, how's the writing going? And I said, I'm writing a movie that I wouldn't watch. And, uh, and once I figured things out and it fell into place, I, I really ended up surprising myself and feeling really pretty good and pretty confident about what I'd written. I'm, uh, I'm satisfied with it. I was happy to turn it in and I was happy to a little nervous to share it with you guys, but ultimately like not ashamed of it. And, Mm -hmm. um, I, whereas I think that first thing I was working on, I, I would have not wanted to share it with anybody I knew. Um, so ultimately I, I'm coming out of this feeling, uh, uh, really good about having completed something and, and actually seeing some merit in it. So I don't know how to rate that. Uh, I, I put myself in the, uh, Oh, let me, uh, let me pop up film cast this, uh, do. Four out of five crashed writing softwares. Hey, that's pretty Ooh, good. Yeah, oh, that's eighty <laughs> yeah. percent. I love that. I forgot mine. Mine smashed heads. 
Oh, oh yeah. perfect. Okay. Armadillo heads. Yes. <laughs> I am my own worst critic, obviously, uh, always, but like to a detriment almost. I don't like to share much of what I do creatively because I never feel it's very good. With that said, this is probably the best thing I've ever written. So like I, I, I the, the, in my opinion of all the things I've ever done creatively or particular, like this is the best script that I've ever done. So with that, like I, I, I hadn't, I was anxious to share it with you guys. Like I, like I want these guys to read it. And That's I, awesome. I even, I even shared it with my wife and I don't share much of anything. <laughs> like, like when it comes to that stuff, Oh yeah, I wrote a script. Can I read it? Nah, it's not that good. Um, but I actually shared it and um, I share it with, I'd share it with anybody that that wanted to read it. My daughter wanted to read it, but I'm like, well, it's rated R. And she gave me a, an angry look like mm. you should be writing stuff. Ah, monkey butt. Even unmade movies, you won't let me see, Dad. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you um, say, ah, monkey butt, and then walk off. Is it? <laughs> yeah. So with that comes confidence, right? Like I, I feel very good. It doesn't mean that it is better than, you know, 25 others. Um, but I have, I have a, I have a strong, like the, I feel way better than I did last year. I feel better than I did a week ago when we were talking about it. Cause I didn't know what I was going to do, but I, I will say it is I'm the most confident I've ever been about anything creative I've ever done. And I'm 45 hmm. years old. So. That's awesome. That's so cool. Um, so, you know, we'll, we'll see, we will see. But in the meantime, it, like it's got me fired up to write other stuff and, so hopefully I make it the second round, so I'll write again. Because otherwise it won't be, <laughs> That's won't good. be for another 365 days in which I'll write something. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Midnight Writers. You can find more Phil Rude on his podcast, The Picture Show, with Austin and Phil Rude, or on Twitter at Phil Rude. Joelle and Julianne also have their own incredibly funny podcast called Mouse and Weens. You can follow Mouse and Weens on Twitter at Mouse and Weens. Keith is host of the Pop-Up Filmcast, and you can find more of him and myself there. Follow Pop-Up Filmcast on Twitter at Pop-Up Filmcast. Finally, if you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at Derek the number nine and then the word nine. That's Derek nine nine.